Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. Yes, that could mean you too. The workouts have been designed to fit into your life so you can move when you can. The 15 minutes you can squeeze in before work. The 20 minutes you get to yourself while the baby naps. The half hour you can spare at lunch. There's a routine for you no matter what your day looks like. A reminder as well, this is included in your Mum Mia subscription. If you are a Mum Mia subscriber, you already have access to Move. Download the Move app and log in with your Mum Mia login. Head to move.mamamia.com.au and use code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. This is Mamma Mia Daily, the stories you need to hear today, read by the women who wrote them. I'm Melody Tay, editor of mamamia.com.au, and on today's show, yes, it's November, and one mum is feeling the Christmas crunch already. But first, we take a look at the story behind that revenge dress worn by Princess Diana, recently depicted in Netflix's The Crown. The story behind Princess Diana's revenge dress, written by Isabella Ross. On June 29, 1994, Princess Diana attended Vanity Fair's annual fundraising event, wearing what would become one of her most famous dresses, the revenge dress. 28 years later, this iconic moment has been recreated on the crown. Diana's black, off-the-shoulder custom gown certainly made a statement back in 1994. Ever since those images of her were captured, it has been known as the revenge dress. As one fashion journalist said, it was the first time people had been introduced to the new Diana, the one who didn't need the royal family or Prince Charles. Interestingly, Princess Diana's revenge dress moment almost didn't happen. She was originally supposed to wear a Valentino dress, but changed her mind at the last minute. On the same night that Princess Diana wore that black frock, Prince Charles publicly admitted that he had had an affair with Camilla Parker Bowles during his marriage to Diana. His admittance of the affair was broadcast in an ITV documentary, which he reportedly filmed in a bid to win over the public. But it was a bit of a missed opportunity once Charles revealed on primetime TV that he had in fact been unfaithful to Princess Diana. So on a human level for Diana, you can only imagine just how upsetting that interview would have been. Though the pair had formally separated almost two years before the Vanity Fair event, they were still undergoing lengthy divorce proceedings, which weren't finalised until 1996. As Diana's former stylist, Anna Harvey, said, she wanted to look a million dollars, and she definitely did. Harvey said the dress cost £900 and was decidedly unroyal. It was off the shoulder, had an asymmetrical above-the-knee hemline and a sheer scarf flowing from the waist, so it was not exactly the demure royal look the public was so used to seeing. Not only did Princess Diana look great, she showed the world that things were going to be on her terms now, a woman in charge of her own image. Australian actress Elizabeth Debicki stars in the final two seasons of The Crown as Princess Diana, and viewers are keen to see the revenge dress recreated in the new season of the show. And from the shots we've already seen of Debicki, we're sure in for a treat. 
It's November and I'm already thinking about the work of Christmas. By me, Laura Jekyll. Last night, as I sat with my family eating dinner, one of my sons excitedly mentioned it was only 47 days until Christmas. I nearly choked on my chicken as I feigned enthusiasm while also eyeballing the orange Halloween bucket still full of lollies sitting mere metres from my face. Has Halloween crept closer to Christmas? Didn't they used to be in entirely different seasons? Before you accuse me of being a festive Grinch, I want you to know that I love Christmas. Or at least I love the idea of Christmas. I love festive movies, especially Love Actually and It's a Wonderful Life. The music, the twinkly lights, the gift giving and the opportunity to eat a lot of cheese and celebrate with loved ones. In theory, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Until I remember, I'm an adult and I must do all the things that make it so damn wonderful. After two years of pandemic life, complete with isolation, anxiety and lockdowns, I am keen to embrace as much festive fun as I can, hopefully without a side order of this season's Omicron variant. But as keen as I am, it's only a week into November, and I'm already knackered thinking about the work involved. Author and podcaster Anne Helen Peterson sums this up perfectly in her latest essay about sprawling holidays. I'd wager most people who didn't grow up regular churchgoers have little understanding of what Advent is, other than an opportunity to open a small door every day to a new mini-gift, Peterson writes. She writes too about how all the work of performing Christmas has traditionally fallen on the shoulders of women. Hands up if you can relate. Like so much of the unpaid mental and physical load assigned to women, conjuring the non-specific magic of Christmas is vague and all-encompassing. It includes, but is not limited to, home and tree decorations, the sourcing, storing, theming and installing, the annual Santa photo shoot and any required outfits, attending school or work concerts and parties, the thought around gifting, would Nana like that and where can I find it at the best price, the card writing, retro but okay, the gift wrapping, the menu planning, the table decorating and the food preparation. Then there's all the shopping, so much shopping. Come mid-December, I will curse as I try to find a rare car space at the mall, then spend a few hours racing around badly lit retailers, panic buying random items, then standing in long queues with sore feet, worrying about cost, all while listening to Michael Bublé. Magic. Even if you sensibly save time and stress by doing your shopping online, there's still the endless scrolling, decision-making, delivery time coordination and cost. On top of ticking off items on the Christmas shopping list, there's also the decision-making about whether to support local business, whether to buy cheap plastic knick-knacks that instantly become landfill, whether to save money by buying from superstores, or whether just to buy very little and disappoint the kids. In the past, my husband Jules and I have tried many approaches to reduce the work and test the ethical dilemmas of Christmas. There's been years we have tried no gifts for each other, or experience gifts only. Years we've been away for Christmas, before kids. And when our kids were babies, we tried buying second-hand gifts only. But it's not just all the gift planning and shopping, it's the diary logistics on top. Back in October, we already knew the dates for work Christmas parties and school socials. Look, I'm so happy to see people socially again, but a tiny part of me misses the years where everything got cancelled. If nothing else but for my cholesterol. Everyone has a choice in how much they get swept along by the festive tidal wave of activity and consumption, but it is challenging to opt out of too much, especially when you have beautiful, bright-eyed kids with long wish lists. 
From a Christian festival to Dickensian traditions across the class divide and gifts from old Saint Nick, morphing into today's epic consumer fest with matching family pyjamas, the Christmas season sure has changed. As part of a non-religious family, I question whether it is still possible to find real meaning in and amongst the frenzied activity, list-making and excessive consumption of a modern Christmas. Growing up in the 80s and 90s in the UK, my parents and grandparents took me to church at Christmas every year. We learnt about Advent at school and sang sweet carols about baby Jesus, his humble birth and the three kings who came to give gifts. I no longer consider myself religious and there's lots I don't miss about church and Catholicism, but I miss the idea that Christmas had a greater purpose and meaning, quietly humming alongside all the fun and frivolity. I occasionally fantasise about taking the kids to Fiji come mid-December and just escaping the madness of it all. But I think that in place of religion, our Christmas traditions have become about being with extended family and enjoying good food, company and lots of fun. There will also be the frenzied present opening and sugared up tantrums. We're only human. While Christmas's past seemed to incorporate plenty of time for feasting, reflection and then rest, these days most people feel the real holiday and rest doesn't begin until Boxing Day. And I guess that's okay, as long as some rest is on the cards. Right now, I need to summon the energy and get prepared. I only have 47 days left, so I better hurry and get writing some lists before it's time to start planning the Easter egg hunt. Ho, ho, ho. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mamma Mia Daily. And for more from our writers, check out their profile links in the show notes. I'm Melody Tay, editor of mamamia.com.au. The show's producer is Claire O'Halloran and our audio editor is Leah Porges. We'll be back tomorrow with the stories you need to hear read by the women who wrote them. See you then. If you love the show, the best thing you can do is become a Mamma Mia subscriber. Mamma Mia subscribers get access to every podcast, exclusive videos, and all the great articles on mamamia.com.au. It only costs $5.75 a month, and there's a link in our show notes. If you're already a subscriber, thank you for the support.